Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We are working through the seven pillars and uh, seven pillars of ministry, just kind of foundational thoughts about what ministry is and how we, uh, how we begin to discern from the Lord what it is that he has for us, what he's calling us to, how he's the one who empowers us, guides us, directs us. Uh, ultimately, service and, and ministry, ministry is service, service is ministry, is the opportunity to experience the Lord. Uh, that's why I love missions so much. Missions really is an extension of discipleship where we get to go and experience God uh, in a different way, in a different setting, in a different place. And uh, we have the wonderful privilege of being utilized by the Lord in the midst of that. And then, of course, we get to praise Him for all that He is able to do. Seven pillars. First of all, we looked at this last week. True ministry is initiated by God. Right? He, he takes the initiative. He takes that first step. We, we learn to follow him. We learn to walk with him. We learn to observe. We learn to recognize when the Spirit is leading us and guiding us. We learn to depend upon him, and ultimately that's called walking by faith. And in the midst of that, the Lord is the one who takes the lead. I love my friend's book, Bruce Witt wrote a book out of Matthew, uh, the statement there that the Lord makes, don't, don't call anybody leader, for you have one leader, and that is Jesus Christ. And the title of his book is, There's One Leader and You're Not It. <laughs> and I love that. That's so true. We, we have this whole idea of uh, Trumpian leadership. Can I put it that way? <laughs> and I, there's a place, amen. But the truth of the matter is, is in the church, what we're talking about is the Lord is the leader. He's our shepherd. He guides us. He directs us. He walks with us. And so we learn to depend upon him. He takes the first initiative. Well, what God initiates, God does what? Anybody know? He anoints. He anoints. He empowers what he initiates. When God's in it and God begins to raise it up, then he anoints it. He empowers Whatever is necessary to accomplish what it is that he is taking the lead in, what he's taking the initiative in. Just to run down through it quick, we'll look at these over the next few weeks, but third, ministry is received, it's not achieved. I can still remember the first time I ever heard that, and it, it rocked me a little bit. Because we tend to think of ministry being something that's our responsibility to accomplish for God. And the truth is, Christianity is not our responsibility. It's really our response to his ability. And we get to walk with him. We receive from him what it is that he wants to do. Because if it's really out of him, then it's going to be sustained by him, and we can trust him with the results of it. True ministry is not the result of our effort, but of our surrender. That's an amazing issue, isn't it? We, we can put a lot of effort into things. And then we get really disappointed when it doesn't turn out the way we thought it was supposed to turn out. We can actually be committed to stuff wholeheartedly, sincerely. The truth is, if it's not of the Lord, if it wasn't His leading, if it's not Him raising it up, if it's not us receiving from Him what He wants to do, it's not going to happen, not the way that we expect it to, or maybe even worse, something happens and we use that to pat ourselves on the back and to continue in deception. That may be even worse. God gets the glory for his ministry. 
when we are walking with the Lord and we really begin to experience God and God begins to transform us from the inside and then through us begins to reveal himself to the world around us, to those around us. He gets the glory. Glory is just simply the the true identity of who he really is. People get to see in us the fact that Jesus really came in order to save and that he's able to transform. And that's an amazing truth. It's not so much about the work. It's about the one behind all the effort. It's the one who is accomplishing all these things. And we give him the glory for it. We point to him not only in what we say, but in our attitudes and in what we do. The church is an organism, not an organization. And again, we are or should be an organized organism. Amen? Uh, Right? So God's not the author of chaos. You can look at nature and it's amazingly organized. But it's alive. The church is alive. It's not just uh, the house of the Lord in the sense of a building. We are the house of the Lord. We are the church. And we have Christ in us who empowers us. And so there's an organization that's taking place that the Holy Spirit supervises. We're going to look at that a little bit this morning in one sense because God is the one who raises up what gift you're going to have, I'm going to have. And then he raises up the ministry that you have to walk in in order to utilize that gift. And then he'll take care of the results of it. It's all about him not about us. And lastly, the role of church leadership is not to do all the work of service, but to equip the body. Equip the body in the word. That the word would be taught. The word is what feeds the people of God. So as we all yield to the Lord and as we submit to the Lord, as we walk in surrender to the word of God, humbly, obediently, wholeheartedly, God begins to orchestrate things. God begins to allow us to be transformed, and then through us, his love begins to be revealed, and the body begins to build itself up in love. What a beautiful picture that really is. So pillar number two, what God initiates, he anoints. Think about this. True service for the Lord requires his power to accomplish his purpose. You catch that? True service, true ministry that is actually for the Lord, that is something that God is the one who is initiating and then is the one anointing. It requires his power to accomplish his purpose. Now, we're Americans, and I love being an American. I've traveled uh, to many different nations, and I have always been thankful to have an American passport. No kidding. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And I'll tell you, there were times where, like in Romania, we'd be on these trains, they'd come in with all the guards and the dogs in order to look for drugs and all the rest of the stuff. And when we showed that American passport, man, we were treated in just such a beautiful way. I've experienced that over and over. There's been times I haven't been treated so nicely either. Uh, I I had a guy run at me in Tegucigalpa, in, in Honduras, and uh, yeah, but he ran at me, he was drunk, he was high on uh, huffing glue, and we were down in the middle of Tegucigalpa, and I have never felt such, I don't even know how to really explain it, but demonic hatred, uh, I don't know that I've ever experienced it anywhere like that one, and I thought, 
dear Lord, I'm going to have to take this guy out. And the next day's paper is going to be pastor on mission, you know, kills Honduran or something like that, you know. <laughs> it was crazy. But thankfully, the people that were with us were, recognized what was going on. And some of the Hondurans were there and they came in and we were able to give the guy some money for some food. The truth is, is when we, when we begin to walk in such a way, we begin to, to recognize who we are. When we begin to serve the Lord, as Americans, we have been taught how to control things. We have been taught how to plan things. It is a part of the nature of our society that we organize things. We know exactly, we think we do, what needs to be done. We know who to find in order to get it done. And if we can't find the person to get it done, we'll find somebody else that will. It's remarkable. Sometimes that's obviously healthy and good. But when that takes precedence over following God, we got a problem, folks. We really do. We got a problem. And I would suggest that when we walk through these things, we, we really ask the Lord to reveal to us, do we really understand what it means to follow God, to walk with the Lord day by day, to rest in Him, to enjoy Him? Is our enjoyment of Him contingent upon the results that we think we deserve because of the effort that we've put in to whatever it may be with regard to ministry? Are we satisfied with Christ alone? Or are there other things that have to be there in order for us to be at peace? That's a tough one, isn't it? Anybody else agree that's tough? I think that's tough. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. From him, meaning out of him, through him, what's out of him, he sustains. And to him, what's out of him, what he sustains is going to come back to him for his glory. His true identity is going to be revealed in the midst of it. It all begins with him. The gift, the ministry, and or the results. God's the source. Therefore, he empowers us to accomplish his work. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. You may have looked at this a little bit last week in K-groups. I used it here. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, he says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, I would think that you caught the variety moment, right? Varieties. What is he talking about here? He says there's varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of effects. The word variety literally has the idea of that which is distributed or it is separated, it is classified, it is given to, it is divided up and apportioned. And what he's simply saying is there are different gifts that are given or apportioned in a different way to different people. There are different gifts that are given in a different way, and there are different ministries that are raised up for those gifts to be utilized in. There are different 
uh, effects that the Lord will accomplish through those ministries, through those gifted individuals. I like what Spiros says on this. Here the apostle Paul does not merely mean the Spirit bestows different gifts, but bestows certain gifts to certain people, not the same to all. Certain gifts to certain people, but not the same to all. See, as soon as you are born into the kingdom, as soon as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved, that's a done deal. You're his child. That is an accomplished, finished act of God himself. And it comes with a promise that you will have eternal life. And when that moment takes place, immediately the Spirit of God gifts you. He gives you a gift, at least one. And it's not the same for everybody. It may look different. There are foundational gifts, but there's even a different measurement given of that gift to individuals. And then the Lord begins to work in your life because the Spirit is the one that gives the gift. Now the Lord is the one who begins to raise up the ministry that as you surrender and yield to the Lord in the midst of, He will utilize your gifting to accomplish his purposes in the midst of that service or that ministry. And the Father is the one who deals with the results, deals with the impact, deals with the effects. It all starts with him. It's all about him. It's not about us. We get to experience God in the midst of this. We have a gift. It's a spiritual gift. It is not a talent. It is something that is a direct result of grace. That's what the word spiritual gift means. And in the midst of that, as we begin to seek the Lord and we begin to follow the Lord, as we begin to learn to die to self, as we begin to say, yes, Lord, then the Lord begins to raise up a ministry area, a service area that is from him for us so that he could exhibit who he truly is in and through us in the midst of the specificity of the gift that he has gifted us with. And then the Father takes care of the results. What does anointed mean? That's an interesting moment, isn't it? Have you ever had somebody say that you're anointed? You're anointed. I've had people say that to me. I've had people say other really interesting things to me too. And I sometimes don't know where to go with that because it's not about the vessel. You catch me? I appreciate compliments. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I, I appreciate encouragement. Praise God. I need that. We all do. But there's something about the anointed thing that kind of messes with my mind a little bit because the truth of the matter is, is God's the one that's anointed. The word of God is what's anointed. I'm just a vessel. Does that follow? You catch me? See, when you're serving the Lord and you are functioning in what he's called you to do, if you're yielded to him and you're walking with him and you're being transformed with him, guess what? You're anointed. <laughs> but who gets the praise for it? Who gets the glory for it? If somebody comes to you and says, oh, you're anointed. I can see the anointing of God on you. You know what you do immediately in your mind? And I want to tell you something. Do it immediately. You run to the Father and say, Lord, that's really you. It has nothing to do with me. If anybody saw anything good in me, it ain't because of me. It's because of you in me. 
And I'll take the encouragement. I don't want to act all super sanct, you know, sacrif- uh, uh, sanctified and all kind of spiritual kind of moment and act all uh, falsely humble. We, we don't want to get there. We can receive encouragement and compliment. But at the same time, we in our minds, we run to the Lord and we say, Lord, that, that's you. Thank you for your grace because I know my heart. I know what I'm not. And I know who you are. You catch me? See, when we talk about being anointed, we're talking about being empowered. And we're talking about the word of God, the living logos of God in us. We're talking about the Holy Spirit within us doing something that we can never take credit for. Ever take credit for. Because it's of God. It's not of us. And we know it. Because if you're truly experiencing the Lord, you know that it has nothing to do with you. You know that it's all to the praise of his glory. Anointing simply means to be empowered, specifically of the Holy Spirit. Ministry is empowered, if it's truly of the Lord, by the Holy Spirit. It's done not in our own strength. Ministry in our own strength is not anointed because it's not out of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not empowered by the Lord. When we begin to serve the Lord with different motives than what's for his glory and or responding to that which he is doing in our lives and and yielding to him and walking with him and saying yes to him and experiencing him, then whatever we're doing, I don't care what it looks like, I don't care how good it appears to everybody else, the Lord knows it has a different motive to it. And it is not from the Lord. And it's therefore not anointed. Because what God initiates, what God raises up, what is from him, he will empower in a way that nobody can explain, nobody can take credit for, nobody can say that was me, because that would be completely and utterly false. The idea of anointing has to do with God's enablement, his power. It has to do with God setting someone apart for a specific purpose of ministry, of service, and his empowering that individual to accomplish whatever the task may be. And I don't care whether it's being called to be a pastor, an elder, a director. I don't care if it's somebody helping change diapers in in the nursery. God bless you, right? There's something about it that God begins to do a work in our lives and he begins to lead us and guide us and direct us. We get to experience him in the midst of it and if it's truly of him, then it's going to be empowered by him. Therefore, he receives the glory because we recognize that he's doing a work that we can't take credit for. He's accomplishing something in us transformationally that we could never accomplish on our own. And he's accomplishing something on the external through our attitudes and actions that we could never, uh, we can't get the glory for either. We could never take credit for it. Who is anointed? (laughs) Well, Jesus, I think, is the clearest example of this. He was set apart for his work on earth as the God-man, In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Oppressed. The Lord never did anything out of his own initiative. 
except one thing. So I shouldn't have said never, right? He did one thing out of his own initiative. He laid down his life. I love that. Everything else was not out of his own initiative. What he said, what he did, the timetable he was on, the schedule he was on, was all from the Father, and it was empowered through him by the Spirit of God. The only thing that it ever says in the Word of God that he did out of his own initiative was to lay his own life down. Nobody made him do that. He chose to do that out of his own will. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Not only is Jesus an example of this, I would suggest to you, all of us as believers, we are an example of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. The with you there, he who establishes us with you in Christ, shows us that all believers have the anointing because they have the anointed one. Christ is anointed and he lives within us. The Holy Spirit is anointed and he lives within us. God is the anointing. He is the power. He is the empowerment for us. When we talk about being empowered or we talk about being anointed in that sense, it, as believers, it is because of God in us. 1 John 2.20 brings this out pretty clearly concerning Christ. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. Now, who's, he, who's the Holy One? Well, I, I would suggest it's Jesus Christ. John's writing to believers and he's saying you have an anointing from the Holy One, meaning you have Christ in you. And you can look in all different passages on this. Mark 1, 24, or Luke 4, 34, John 6, 69, Acts 2, 27, or Acts 13, 35, 1 Peter 1, 15, where Christ is recognized as the Holy One. You have an anointing from God. You have the Holy One in you. Wow. We've, we've made this thing kind of like the big title moment, haven't we? The bigger the title, the more the anointing. Listen, friend, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may not have any title at all whatsoever. But if you're yielded to Christ and if you're surrendered to Christ and if you're walking with the Lord, then guess what? You have the Holy One living in you and you have an anointing from God. Amazing. Others may not recognize it. You may not be out in front of people. You may be behind the scenes, but your friends, your family, those you serve, they're going to see it because Christ in you is going to reveal something through you about himself. You have an anointing from God. You have the Holy One. Concerning the Holy Spirit in 1 John 2, 27, we have Christ, obviously, with the Holy Spirit. We have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling within us. But 1 John 2.27 says, As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Speaking about the Holy Spirit who teaches us. We, we, when we become believers and the Spirit of God comes to live within us, he gives us insight into the Word of God. In fact, he'll drive us to the Word of God in order that we would begin to long for the milk of the Word and by it to grow with regard to our salvation, to grow in the grace and the knowledge 
of Christ, to grow in the reality of what God has done for us and what he desires for us to experience in him as we yield to him. We have anointing from God, and we can see this through the teaching of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus, in the person of his Spirit, sets us apart unto himself. He anoints us with his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to accomplish what he has assigned to us. So the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts is the anointing. He's the power that is necessary for ministry to happen through us. Now, folks, people can take this and they can make it all kinds of different ways. I would simply suggest that the Holy Spirit, when he comes to live within our lives, when we become believers, begins to lead us and guide us and direct us. He convicts us. He empowers us. He gives us insight into the word of God. In fact, he will drive us to the word of God. When we trip and when we stumble, he will convict us of sin. He is absolutely constantly at work on our behalf because his desire is for us to be conformed into the very image of Christ. When we talk about an anointing, what we're talking about is God in us, empowering us in what he has called us into. We get to experience him in the midst of it. First John tells us that he teaches us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he empowers us. In Galatians 5.22, he produces the character of Christ in us. He's the anointing, and he is the one who begins to do a work that is not just temporal, but rather eternal in our hearts, in our lives, as we yield to him, as we learn to die to self, as we say yes to him in the midst of life and all that's taking place. What God initiates, God anoints. He empowers. And as the people of God, we've been called into a relationship with him to where when we get saved, he comes to live within us. And therefore, as the people of God, we are anointed. Are we walking in that? In the Old Testament, they were called priests but so too in the New Testament, because we serve the Lord. Our reasonable service of worship is living sacrifice, right? Here's my life, Lord. You use it in whatever way you choose. And in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into light. What a beautiful picture. When we begin to talk about being priests of God, servants of the Most High, constantly yielding over to Him our lives and whatever it is that He asks of us and for whatever reasons, with no worries about how it's going to turn out because God's the one that's in charge of that, not us. There are so many examples of anointed ministry in, in the Bible Moses leading Israel out of Egypt. Think about all the plagues, right? We looked at it a little bit, what, God, uh, what true ministry is initiated by God. And if God initiates it, then he anoints it, right? How many times did Moses think this thing was going to fall apart on him? I mean, over and over again. The elders all came and had to pray, and they, oh, Moses, you, you, you're killing us. It's, it's harder now that you showed up. You say you're going to free us, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> We're suffering even more. I mean, over and over and over again. 
God makes himself known in a way where his power and his glory is exhibited not only for the Israelites, but also for all the Egyptians and ultimately the whole world. It wasn't Moses' idea. And it wasn't Moses' strength that sustained him in the midst of it. It was God. Or Joshua. I mean, good grief, you could take any of the battles, but the famous one is Jericho, right? He, he didn't come up with this idea. Walk around the walls, and they'll fall. <laughs> As a military guy, I'm sure Joshua was wondering, what? What? But as a spiritual guy, I wonder if he wasn't saying, go God. I never thought about that. What an amazing way to exhibit to this land that we're about to come in and conquer. God's power and his strength and his might. Or the judges and how the Lord led them to free Israel from the hands of their oppressors. I mean, good grief, you go through all the judges and, and look at how God empowered them. Look at Gideon. Hail, valiant warrior. <laughs> Where's Gideon? And he's hiding out trying to thresh wheat in a hole in the ground. I have never threshed wheat, I will confess, but I've been told that you do not thresh wheat in a hole in the ground. You want to be up somewhere where the wind hits, not Albuquerque, it'll sweep it away and you'll never find it again, right? <laughs> Hail, valiant warrior. And Gideon was like, what? Was this was this empowered by Gideon or was it empowered by God in and through Gideon? See, we talk about anointing. We're talking about the empowering ability of God. Jesus coming to earth to accomplish the salvation plan. Or Peter and the twelve and their calling. Paul being called as an apostle. Oh, the life of Paul. I love those, those moments where Paul is fearful. And it doesn't necessarily specify that he was fearful, but it specifies that the Lord came alongside of him and encouraged him, that the Lord stood with him. Why? Because Paul's looking at another city to go into, and he's fearful of it. He's already been beaten. He's already suffered. He's already been persecuted. He's been chased all over the known world over and over and over again by these Judaizers. They're tracking him down in every city that he goes to. They stir up the entire city against him. They lie about him and all the different things that he goes through. And he's staring at another city and the Lord comes alongside of him and says, Paul, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's okay. That's amazing, folks. What is not anointed? Well, there's many examples of this as well. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, he gives us a categorical statement about the Old Testament. He says, these things happen to them, and he's speaking of those in the Old Testaments, the saints of God in the Old Testament who look forward to the coming of the Messiah, who at times were indwelt by the Spirit, but not permanently. That's a difference. Old Testament saints looked forward and at times were indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. New Testament, but then he would leave. New Testament saints look back to what Christ did in the resurrection. And when we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit come to live within us forever. Period. Done deal. And never leaves us. We can grieve him. We can quench the spirit. But as believers, we never have to worry about whether he's going to leave us. 
So he tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things happen to them as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. So all these things that these, these saints of the Old Testament went through are an example to us. They're instruction to us. We can, we can look at them and we can learn from them. We can recognize some of the, the flaws, some of the mistakes, some of the traps. I think about ministry being empowered by God and I, I think about Moses. And you think about the plagues and you think about all these mighty deeds that God used Moses in the midst of, but track it back to the point where he decided, because he was an Israelite, he was a Hebrew, that he was not going to watch his fellow brothers and sisters continue to suffer. And what did he do? He had a great goal. I'm going to save my fellow brothers and sisters. But he didn't do it in God's timing. He didn't do it in God's way. He killed an Egyptian who was beating some of the Hebrews. Later on, he found out other Israelites had seen it. He knew it was going to get reported to Pharaoh. And what does he do? He flees. Great example of ministry that was not received. It was not empowered. It was not anointed. It was not initiated by God. He had the right idea. I would even argue that as a covenant Hebrew, he was justified in what he did. But it's the wrong time, the wrong way. It was not anointed ministry. Or Saul. God bless Saul. Isn't he an amazing guy? He had so much potential, at least from our perspective. But he didn't kill Agag when he was supposed to. Samuel told him, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what the Lord requires. They are to, to be completely destroyed, these Amalekites, and all their flock, everything about them. And Saul didn't do it. Agag, Agag he left alive. Samuel shows up, and he hears what? <laughs> he hears all the cattle. And Saul's response is so great. Oh, it's, we kept the best because we're going to sacrifice it. What did Samuel respond to him about? What did he say? To obey is what? Better than sacrifice. The Lord wants our hearts. See, when we're talking about true ministry, we're talking about it being initiated by God. We're talking about what he initiates, he anoints. And what he anoints, he's empowering. And if it's not of him, if it's not as surrendered to him, if we're not following him, if we're not doing what he says, then it's not of him and it's not anointed by him. It's not empowered by him. We, we may think we're getting results, but I can assure you, friend, that one day our work is going to get tested by fire and it will burn because it wasn't out of Christ. It wasn't from him. David, numbering the people. Satan actually kind of uh, initiated this in David's mind. He wanted to look at the power and the might of Israel. And Satan comes alongside and why don't you, why don't you go and number all the mighty men? Number all the armed forces. David said, boy, that's a good idea. No, 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 it wasn't. Thousands of people died because David did this. It was not ministry that was empowered or anointed of God, and yet David was a man after God's own heart. How careful do we need to be to follow God and to walk with him, to make sure that we're in alignment with his word and make sure that we're yielded to him and surrendered to him? 
so that we don't get deceived and begin to walk in something that really has nothing to do with him, even though it may look like it might. One of my favorite stories, just because it's just funny, is the feeding of the 5,000, right? And the reason I bring this up, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this story. And if you read the story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find that they kind of jump into the middle of the story. The people are already there. The crowds are already there. It's towards the evening time. And the disciples are coming to the Lord, and the disciples are saying to the Lord, oh, we got to get rid of these people. We don't know how to feed them. We don't got enough food for them. We better get them out of here. They're in a barren place. The Lord's just found out about the beheading of John the Baptist. They traveled to this barren place to be alone. The people found out about it, and they came running. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke really pick up that whole story in the middle of the story. John, I believe, reading back through the synoptic gospels, recognizes that there's a bit of the piece of the puzzle here missing. And when you read the Gospel of John in chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, it says, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him. See, this is at the very beginning. This is probably early in the day. It's not in the evening time. It's not when the crowd was already there. It's not after Jesus had already taught. It's as the crowd is coming to them. And the Lord recognizes, here they come. And he says to Philip, oh, it's such a setup. I mean, just setup. Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. What? Do you catch this? They're all out there. They're in their holy huddle. Everybody's coming out. As they're coming out, the Lord knows what he already is going to do at the end of the day. But he says something to Philip. <laughs> hey, Philip, look at all these people. How are we going to feed them? Now, catch that for a moment. What do you think Philip did the rest of the day? You think Philip sat there with pen and paper and listened to everything the Lord taught? I doubt it. I bet he was so worried. He was so strung out. Where do you think the disciples got the idea of coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, even 200 denarii won't feed all these people? Because that's what Philip said to the Lord. I mean, Philip, Philip's in overdrive, man. He's in worry. He's an achieved ministry mindset. He's going to accomplish this. This is his moment. Lord, look what I can do. Look at my organizational abilities. I'm going to take care of these people. And by the end of the day, Philip's going, oh, I don't know what to do. I failed. I failed. The Lord says, go, go out, find some food from these people. And they bring him the loaves and the fish. And he prays. <laughs> he begins to break them up. And continues and continues and continues and continues and continues and continues. And everybody's fed and there's 12 basketfuls left over just so that the disciples had it locked in their minds. It's not about what you can do for me, guys. It's what I can do in and through you. See, that's anointed ministry. We tend to run around and so worried and wringing our hands about everything. I think sometimes we maybe have forgotten that there is a God 
And we worry about everything, don't we? Come on, come on. I do too. And we got to take that to the Lord and we got to constantly bathe our minds in the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. Because let me ask you something. What are you going through right now? What is it that you're facing right now? You have no idea how it's going to work out. Maybe the Lord already knows what he's going to do. And he's just testing us as to how we're going to respond to him. Do you think the Lord already knows what he's going to do? I think he does. And I think the question is, are we going to say yes to him? Are we going to walk with him? Whether it's in your own personal life, whether it's in this church body, whatever it may be, lock, lock that one in your mind. As soon as there's a test in your life, as soon as something happens you don't understand, as soon as something gets orchestrated that you don't know where to go with it, what to do with it, the Lord already knows what he wants to do. And are you willing to follow him in the midst of it? Because if it's initiated by God, guess what? He will empower us. He will empower you to walk through it. And you'll get to experience him. So run to him and see what he will do. Let me give you just briefly an analysis, kind of in closing. What's anointed, what's not? You got this one? Do you have this on the PowerPoint? Oh, you don't? Okay, that's fine. If it's anointed, the focus is on the Lord. The focus is on Christ. If it's not anointed, the focus is on who? Man. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But listen to people's speech. Oh, look how many this we've got, or how many things we've done here, or where we've gone here. What? 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 I love in Acts where they would bring back a report and what they did is they began to share what God did through them. Look what God has accomplished. Look what the Lord has done. Focuses on Christ, not on us, not on man. Well, if it's anointed, it's out of the word of God. If it's not anointed, guess what it is, folks? It's superstition. That's all it is. It's fear, it's worry, it's driving to try to accomplish something. <laughs> My goodness, I don't know, we, we don't like that word superstition much. I, I used to not think that I was very superstitious in my flesh. And then I played baseball. And I realized how superstitious I really was. Well, I had devotions this morning, that's why I hit the home run. I promise you, that literally went through my mind one day. I was in a practice game at Liberty University. I was a freshman, a red shirt, and I drilled one. Man, I killed it. Just killed it. And if you've never killed one with a, with a bat like that, man, it, it feels like butter coming off. Man, that baseball just feels like butter. I just killed it. As soon as I hit it, I knew I had scorched it. <laughs> I hit first base, and I remember running right to second base, and the thought went right through my mind. You had your devotions this morning. God is just blessing you. <laughs> Man, I was so proud. And then if I'd strike out and I didn't have my devotions, <laughs> oh, Lord, I'll do better next time, I promise. You know, this is what we do. Hey, don't look at me that way. 
You're just as superstitious in your flesh. We'll try to do things for God, and then when we have what we think are the good results out of it, we'll say, well, look what I did for God. Or this is why it went wrong. God doesn't really work that way, friend. Obedience, faith, it's going to be a yielding to the Lord versus a lack of submission, a lack of obedience. Obedience is just hearing from God and placing yourself in alignment under what you hear from him. That's what obedience is. The activity is a result of the heart. It's a result of hearing. The activity is descriptive of the heart. It starts with the heart, not the activity. There are people that can do the activity, but their hearts are far from God. True, anointed, empowered of God ministry deals with faith, a persuasion that God is able no matter what anybody else says and no matter what it looks like. It deals with obedience from the heart first and foremost. It has integrity versus hypocrisy. True anointed ministry, ministry that is empowered or anointed of God is going to have integrity in it because it's of the Lord and it won't have hypocrisy in it. It won't have a false motive or attitude. It won't be hypocritical. It'll be good, pure. When we walk with God in the midst of his ministry, then guess what? His character is going to be revealed through us. Whereas when we're not walking with the Lord, when we're trying to achieve something perhaps for him, or we're walking in something that we say is anointed, but it's not, guess what? There's no spiritual standards in it. Oh, there's so much I could say about that one. There are signs all over this city that grieve me when I listen and look at this stuff about ministry. I won't go there. There's no spiritual standards. You could do whatever as long as the ends justify the means. No, friend, that's wrong. That's wrong. Because if it's truly of God, the process and how we walk with the Lord is the issue. Because the Lord is the one who's responsible for the effect. Two more. We're content when we're walking with the Lord and when we say yes to the Lord and we are empowered by the Lord. Guess what? We're content. Versus we have no peace. No peace. That's huge. It's amazing to watch people get ramped up about ministry. <laughs> And I do it too, so I'm not pointing, I'm not pointing a finger. I'll do it too. i got to confess it as sin, just like I'm saying for anybody else to do. But you could tell, because there's peace or there's not. There's peace or contentment or there's no peace. And lastly, it's grace-filled. It's grace-filled versus self-filled. Self-filled. Grace meaning there's something about it that reflects the Lord in a way that you can't make up, you can't program it. And then in the midst of it, if it's not of the Lord, it becomes all about self. It all becomes about our effort and our experience and all about us. The conversation shifts. When it's grace-filled, we recognize we couldn't do this apart from the Lord. When it's self-filled, we want all the glory for what we think we've done. I I know this well, folks, because I live it. 
I have to deal with my flesh all the time. It's insufferable, really. <laughs> Sorry for all of you that have to deal with my flesh, too. Because the truth of the matter is we all need the Lord. We all need the Lord. And in the midst of it, when we know that God is leading in something and we're willing to say yes to him, guess what? We have all the resources of God in our life to be empowered and experience what he is able to do, to experience true anointed ministry so that he'll get the credit for it. He'll get the glory for it. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 